and welcome to the Feminine Profiles podcast. I'm your host, Brooke Baldwin. My intention for this show is to create a space for open conversations with women from all backgrounds, to shed light on stories of entrepreneurship, creativity, human potential, and self-expression. Join me here every week for another dose of inspiration and a new feminine profile. podcast. Today I have Lara Elliott on and Lara is someone who I've mentioned so many times in my episodes. Some guests have mentioned her as well. I mentioned her in my first episode of this podcast on my, I guess, career journey and sharing more about my personal exploration over the past several years and she was definitely key in all of that. She is a Reiki teacher. She's an herbalist meditation teacher and really supports women from multiple modalities. I participate in her Dharma readings on Tuesday mornings, which is fun that a few other podcast listeners and um, just people I've connected with online, they join them as well. And it's just a very grounding start to the week. So I highly recommend checking those out or um, I've done some virtual Reiki sessions with her Uh, since I no longer live in LA, but just so many ways to connect with her. So highly recommend um, checking her out because she is such an embodiment of love and wisdom and compassion and presence just exudes so many qualities that I admire. and, And she's just a very grounding presence if you've gotten to work with her. So very excited for you to listen to this conversation. And today... We talk about a few things from her background and what her current offerings are to her community, her call to move to Ojai, her love of Eastern practices and Eastern medicine, and then we also talk about the desire to start hosting these Dharma readings on Tuesdays and what that consistent practice has felt like in her life. We also talk about her longing for community and creating spaces that feel like home And then we kind of dive into a conversation on anxiety. I initially brought it up because I feel like these tools have um, been able to silence that part of my brain so much, like these texts and the readings and just Eastern philosophy as a whole has really helped me with these mental grooves that have gotten stronger as I've gotten older. And so just breaking them down and coming back to home within myself. So we talk about anxiety and her take on the source of anxiety, which I resonated with as well, and how our life is always for us and it's not against us. And it's always, there's always medicine in whatever is presenting. So yeah, we talk about how to work with our emotions, work with our mind, and cultivate our true center within ourselves that we can go forth from that space. So I just love everything she had to share. She had some rain pouring in the background, and now as I'm recording, it's storming outside, so very cleansing water energy right now. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Laura, and I will be back next week. Thank you so much for having me here and meeting with me in this space and conversation. And it is so beautiful, um, yeah, to have witnessed you over the years and um, definitely noticed, um, you know, not that I felt like, oh, there's a big need for her to shift. (laughs) But there was, yeah, I think when... I think it was the time when you reached out about the wedding and and then just became again more like, oh, with your presence, connected to your presence. I'd noticed the shift and I had noticed how beautiful you've come into, into, yeah, whatever that means when we say into yourself, really into a beautiful place and harmonious way with your presence, very noticeable. I, I mean, it, it always has to do with feeling connected to the, the, the divine feminine, feeling more grounded. And I love, which is, you know, feels just like, oh, my fellow 
traveler here like your your passion and and love and curiosity for for the same for the dharma for the teachings and and to to find you re reunite a little bit like years later and in that same you know passion that's that really is what i love the most if that makes sense so yeah but that's that's my gratitude um to just our connection and Yes, this beautiful rain in the background here. We're in Southern California, uh, in Ojai, um, this beautiful little valley between nestled between two mountains. And we have the blessing of rain, which just became really strong. I don't know if that is audible in the background, but I almost wish for it to be because it's a powerful force. Um, but yeah, that's where I'm located now after years in Los Angeles and before years in uh, New York. Um, for me, as someone from Europe, originally an immigrant uh, from Germany, I um, have lived for now almost 20 years in the United States. Coming up next, I think June, it's the 20 year mark. That's wild to think about it. Also coming up to my 44th birthday which is happening i think in two weeks or so that is wild too to think about this number like i don't even know how that happened <laughs> i also don't know especially the last few years and the last year of living here in this beautiful valley more um, immersed in nature which has been a long time longing especially since my daughter claire was born six and a half years ago to move into more nature into more um, outside of the big hustle and bustle of the urban city. And Los Angeles is obviously a big one. And before that, New York. So I was ready. Um, but yeah, so just maybe going back to this birthday, which is coming up and and just the time, it's, it's just wild. And maybe for you who are listening and also for you, Brooke, time is just, I don't know if it's a collective thing or it has to do with, with you know, just the increased age but it just really feels like it's been racing or it's been flying um flying by and to a place where it's almost um ridiculous <laughs> it's like wait wasn't that a month ago but it was six months ago so mm -hmm. that's something i'm noticing too and you know especially since motherhood um i oftentimes said it maybe it's because you're so present and so much in love with another being that that makes time well sometimes it makes time stand still the feeling of making but it gives a different kind of experience of life itself and our existence and you know the whole concept of time gets a little distorted which is you know with the practice that i have maybe a good thing because we take everything for granted and we focus on numbers, you know, like, oh, this is how old I am. And I maybe have this much more. And in the end of the day, gosh, isn't it all here for us to come into the appreciation of this very moment so, and our the gift of our lifeness? So, yeah, so that and then maybe briefly to my the practices, my spiritual and healing practices, which is very interconnected with um, my heart, my curiosities, my passions. I'm a Chinese medicine practitioner. I have actually been through two programs, one in New York and got licensed there 2014. And then I moved to California, which led me into another master's degree of Chinese medicine that I completed last year because I took a very long break um, with um, the conception of my daughter, actually a four year break before I finished it. So um, it's a deep passion and, and, and part of my practice, healing practice, spiritual practice, Chinese medicine, Taoism. And, and then I um, had in New York started going to a Zen Buddhist temple in Brooklyn. That is still a deep, um, love that I have for Zen Buddhism. And because when I moved from New York to California to Los Angeles um, and had to go back to my second program with Chinese medicine, I 
was you know not allowed to work with this craft, with this art form, healing arts of the acupuncture, the needles. That led me actually into opening more and more on the path of with Reiki. So I offered integrative Reiki treatment sessions, and people eventually started asking, "Would you teach what you do?" And my background was also intermixed with some breath work, and then. Um, but I've now been practicing for over 10 years and, um, and integrating into my healing practice and offerings and then a cranial cycle and a holistic health coaching was something that I did at the very beginning, entering into the healing arts, um, from a little career in fashion design. <laughs> so, yeah, so the journey of going back to Chinese medicine school in New York, in Los Angeles, brought me onto eventually teaching Reiki. And that has, as you know, and that's how we met um, also to like, yeah, just was apparently a path that I meant to be on. And I found after years of teaching, and then diving more into the practices continuously, myself, um, I found all of my other curiosities of Taoism and Buddhism and Zen back in the in the teachings and the inner teachings mm -hmm. of Reiki. So it all makes sense. So I'm teaching Reiki because of my love for Buddhism and Taoism and Eastern philosophy. And and that's really at the root of everything that I do and share in my practice. Can you talk about the inspiration to begin these Dharma calls? Were you participating in other ones and wanted to offer it to you know, your audience? Um, would also love to hear about what showing up consistently has like shown you in your life and your work. I think for me, even being able to dedicate myself to a consistent practice, um, creates routine that helps me show up in, you know, a centered way every day. And it's a beautiful framing to the start of the week. And mm -hmm. I've loved showing myself that I can show up every week for something. So mm -hmm. um, I'd love to hear what that feels like for you too. Mm, yeah, that's actually a beautiful point. And I, you probably remember that I say almost in every week's class that I'm, I, I'm not exactly, I haven't counted exactly how many weeks we're in, but I mean, probably four months or something like this. I always mention that I'm proud of myself and the proud of course, and that I'm actually have been offering it every single week um, and not, you know, canceled one in between because of something, because it is so nice to do that. Um, in many meditation practices, I, I practiced Kundalini yoga for many years. I actually just recently gotten back into a more uh, um, regular practice and I'm so excited and that went out of the window because of motherhood. But, you know, it's everybody's own way of going about it. So it doesn't necessarily mean when you become a mother, that your spiritual daily practice goes out the window, but for me, it was the case. And in Kundalini, there's a saying, if you practice a certain Kriya or mantra for, I think it's 40 days, um, it's really very transformative. And in you know, Reiki and, and so many other ways, it's, it's just true this, if there's, some, if there's some dedication to the practice and because it's the practice itself that teaches us rather than, um, you know, that's me and in the role of a Reiki teacher saying that to my students as well. I'm instructing you, I'm teaching you the practices, the forms and the meditations and practicing them, those, these forms and the meditations and actually meditating will teach you the Dharma of the practice. Because when we talk about the Dharma, it's something that is not derived from Right, there's the sages and there's Buddha, of course. But what is Buddhism about? It's the awakening of the heart. So it's not that one person claims, oh, this is my the enlightenment. This, I was enlightened and that's why right, when you do how I did, you're going to be enlightened. It's actually the teachings guiding us to our own heart wisdom, to that sense of compassion that is innate in us. And the system of Reiki would say that great bright light, the gokai, the... Um, the precepts are actually who we are showing up in a way to a practice that doesn't come from an outer sense of discipline or this person says I have to that's where we realize or when we find that transformation within ourselves 
to the Dharma class, um, how did I get to, why, why were they thinking of it? it? There was a few things coming together. And one of them was my deep, I just, I, I feel so nourished and curious about these practices. And this is the same with Chinese medicine when I read about Buddhism. So sometimes when I wake up at night and I realize, okay, I might not get fall asleep for the next or early in the morning um, for a while, then I sometimes get my phone and rather than Instagram or so, I'm opening just where I'm just Googling some mantra or some teachings. And, you know, having done this again over the years now for a decade, for a few decades, it just feels like home. It, it's I sometimes say it's like eating chocolate to me to sit in meditation or or reading about these things or learning and studying about them. There's just such a it just feels like home and so there is this deep, deep, deep love. And that's why I'm doing them, not because I decide I want to be a common acupuncturist or, you know, it's more about the the essence and and the heart and the philosophy and the spiritual roots of them and and just my deep love for Eastern practices and 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 so because of our fullness of each day and how we can easily fill them with all the 10,000 things of taking care of the children. And I mean, in my case, one daughter and seeing clients and um, all the ins and outs, there is not that much time to sit down and read a book, at least for myself. Um, and then I have been a student. So there has been, of course, reading um, that I needed to do, writing essays and so on. But there's just many books that I have collected over the years and I didn't even get a chance to sit down and read them. And so that was one big reason um, to offer these classes. It was, um, you know, quote unquote selfish, um, but knowing that through my community and, you know, teaching Reiki and my, my students and, and, and community that I know that there's a bunch, you know, having the same love and passion for the Dharma, for the teachings, and then also for me finding the golden thread between all of them. And, you know, was being a student of Taoism and Chinese medicine and Reiki and then even Ayurveda and, and just realizing, oh my God, this is all the same in its essence. I was just like, this could be so fun to create the space because that's also what I've come to learn and that it's more about us creating these spaces um, for our practice, for stillness, rather than to have space and then fill it in some ways with stuff. Um, but yeah, so to create this space, knowing it's going to be beneficial and enjoyable for myself and then also, you know, other people, which is always such a beautiful um, intention. Uh, right, to fill myself up, my heart, my soul, and for the benefit of the greater good. And then also with this, the earth, because if we become more conscious, more heart-centered in the ways of our existence, compassionate, then we are also benefiting um, the earth and hopefully the rest of the world. So creating that space for myself and others was the main intention, that space of reading these texts basically in my library that I have here in my archive that I'm just walking by the shelf and looking at thinking, oh, I wish one day I'm going to have the time to sit down. So that's mm -hmm. one of the big reasons. And, and then to just have the fun to pick one thing one week and then the next thing another week and, and maybe all explore that essence of these, of these beautiful um, readings and their connection we're to explore when we read them and then the other part was that I really um, was craving um, and you know to have a free offering to have an offering um, within my offerings that is for free um, because of my Buddhist practice um, and the world and materialism and capitalism and all the things that feel less aligned when the heart awakens but we do live in a society and it's all okay. And we might need to um, have a value, you know, a healthy sense around our, our worthiness and, and just reality about, you know, that we live here in this world and we need to pay our bills. Like Ramdas always says, we need to remember two things in this lifetime, our Buddha nature 
and our social security number. So the social security number part is fine, but I do, you know, feel through my practice um, this really big sense of wanting to be in service and not only um, to a place where not everybody can um, afford it. So, or the Reiki trainings, and I do offer payment plans and things like that, but it was just really nice to say, you know, this is for free. And it's online, so making it more accessible. Mm-hmm. What I love so much about these texts is someone who's been reading these books for 15 years or someone who just picks it up for the first time, there's always mm-hmm. something it can offer you in what you're going through that day or that year or the themes that you're feeling in your, your relationship. So there's really something for everyone. I've loved it. And I was scared to join the first one because I've never joined a Dharma call. I didn't know what it even meant. And so yeah. now I Google, you know, Dharma calls it spirit rock. And I've logged into some calls on Thursday mornings and Monday nights. And it's just a, a great space to continue to just surround yourself with feeling of home and um, presence and community. Mm. Well, of course, picking up on the word community for a moment, that's my deep longing. I just, I would love to have some, some sort of meeting um, multiple times, you know, just like in person with, I mean, I just long so much and more and more like every day passing to be in community with people to just meet and through my practice, it's just also because one other big part that I forgot to mention was that I didn't want to be in the role of the teacher in that space, you know, because if Jack Cornfield, my one a, a person that I consider a huge teacher and influence in my on my path and practice, um, his Dhamma talks are him teaching and I wanted to create the space of a Dhamma reading community where it's not Olara sharing her wisdom, but because to me, and this is how I write in my healing practice and when I teach with Reiki, when we really understand it's it's never, to, I mean, I've been saying this for so many years, to me, healers don't heal other people, but we create a safe space to support others on their healing journey for them to be able to connect to themselves and, and really through this, through their own inner, inner wisdom and capacity to heal and all the things. And that's the same about our wisdom. You know, this, this is, there's no one person really wiser than another person. Everybody has so much to share. So that's, was the intention for this reading that it's a reading. And then at the end of the reading, and you know exactly right. what I do do is at the beginning, I'll lead a little bit through the movement, through the breath, so we can empty ourselves, even from this idea of um, me, 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 I want to bring in my, you know, but it's just like allowing to be open, hearted, open minded, open energy with the open energy, like taking that in and then sharing what we felt afterwards and knowing that, you know, because it's medicine. These texts are medicine. They're reminding us of our heart. And from that heart, that's the same place of wisdom. And that's like sharing from this, you know, how beautiful. And then at the end of the class, everybody, oh, it's not a class, a session, everybody shares. We always, there's always, you know, so much wisdom from everybody. Or So that's that was a huge intention to, and that makes it different um, than like a Dharma talk where, in a in a in a Zen temple or where the 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 priest or the you know actually the abbot or like actually gives a talk and teaches. Um, so I just want to make this, this um, differentiation because um, that was my intention to not be in the space of like ooh um, I have it figured out and this is why <laughs> but actually like I actually this is my practice, this is my passion, and I have it not figured out. And this is why mm-hmm. it's beneficial for all of us. And I don't need to have it figured out, whatever it even means. Um, it's just the love for it that reminds us, you know, the essence. I'm exploring so many themes right now in our, you know, our readings. And then also I have just been reading and rereading A Path with Heart. Um <laughs> But so, you know, one of the main themes that I come up against that is just so ingrained in me, the way 
I was raised in the way like my ego has formed over the past 28 years is I have held such um, importance on what I think is right and wrong, what I think is like my opinion, the truth, certainty. And so that's why last week's reading was so amazing and, you know, how you can end every opinion or every sentence with, and how about you? Just to like kind of giggle at the fact that whatever you're saying, it could be the exact opposite. There's, you know, what is right and wrong? What is truth and and not truth? I'd love to hear what themes are, you know, most present for you in these readings. Hmm. Hmm. Nice. That's a beautiful question. And to me, it comes back to the same thing again and again and again. And what I've known, come to feel that healing is all about is compassion. Is that compassion, um, what that really means when we observe ourselves through meditation because that's another interesting part we're reading texts and when we read texts there are words about like theories and philosophies and but where do they come from so that's why a lot of like all of these practices are coupled um coupled so if you go to a zen temple you are sitting in zazen for a while and then the dharma talk comes afterwards and that is also the reason why in our dharma community reading classes i like to start with a little bit of movement with a little bit of quieting the mind through breath and then we go into the reading and sometimes oftentimes find in the readings that then there is it's the alignment of body mind and breath speech spirit so and, and, you know, a beautiful text. I wish I could, like, be able to quote Jack Hornfield exactly because when he says in many of his Dharma talks at the beginning of the talk, he says, what I say is um, I don't give you my opinion or I don't want you to put my opinion up on you. Just take whatever resonates in your heart as well as resonant as true. Take that in and everything else you just throw out the window. Um, and that's really the nature of a Dharma talk. It, it, it softens the mind, it opens the mind and, and opens the heart. That is really the nature, right? It's inspiring, um, not only on a creative level, but it inspires the heart. It awakens. And, and, and you know, men, like some of these texts that we read together, remember the story with the Shakyamuni Muni Buddha, where he came to stay overnight in a place and he, he shared the room with a yogi and um, the yogi said, of course, you can share the room and not knowing that it was Shakyamuni Buddha and they meditated all night together. And, and, then, uh, and then the next morning, the Buddha offered a Dhamma talk to the yogi, the yogi still not knowing who it was. And then during the words shared the Dhamma talk, the, the yogi enlightened. And I think it said something like, and one third into the into the talk, um, the yogi was enlightened and realized who was the one talking to him or sharing the teachings with him. So there is something about the Dharma, about these talks, about these texts that is enlightening. And what does that enlightening mean? Um, to me, it has a lot to do with awakening. That you know, it's something that. Yeah, what does enlightening mean? Maybe we can leave that as a question. What does it mean to you, whoever listens? Um, to me, it is something that is not happening and then we're enlightened and then we walk around the rest of our life being enlightened. But it is a an awakening of the heart, an awakening into more consciousness, an awakening into com our compassionate nature, so that's, I think, I feel what I'm, what I keep experiencing when I, when I um, read these texts is um, just a sense of compassion with myself, my, my human nature, the ways of our being, of our mind, our capacity for a deeper sense of compassion. And then with, through this, and, and as a natural process, that compassion 
is growing to everybody around us. Because if we under, if we realize, oh, this is how the mind works, and it certainly works the same way in the mind of the person across from you, because the mind is the mind and it kind of moves in the same ways in every human. Uh, and that creates a lot of compassion and, you know, and, and all the things connected to the ways um, we move through the world, or at least the, the ways of the mind. And as you know, judgment is, of course, part of that, the ways of the mind. So if we have been on the whole journey of sitting in meditation, realizing what the mind does in the sense of thinking, have come to realize how much the mind judges all the time, our thoughts of good and bad, you know, the duality, then, um, and then beginning to judge ourselves for judging ourselves and just haven't gone through this process for, for many sits and times, eventually, at least what I experienced, it comes compassion of, oh, wow, this is also just the thoughts and I am not that. And I am not my thoughts. So I am not, you know, I'm, I can observe that judging, which does not mean that we're not judging anymore. <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's so much there, but I, it's just, you know how I say let's, so we're doing, doing these movements in the breath so we can really take these, 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 these readings in as medicine because anything can be medicine. If we bring the awareness of that potential to anything like food, right? You can eat an apple, just watching um, some, whatever TV show or driving in a car. And then you basically just have eaten an apple and you don't even maybe remember how it tasted, but you can also grow it in a garden and, or, you know, pick it somewhere and just feel that gratitude for this vitality and, and all the nutrients and um, yeah. And it becomes a complete different experience. Yeah. And I think part of that compassion and stillness also feels like this surrender into taking a softer approach to everything. And that's, you know, also what I was saying about this tight grasp on truth, you know, just releasing this um, tight hold on everything and just creating a soft environment for your perception to just accept what is and be compassionate open your heart there's there's so many parts in this text I'm reading that speak to that and they quoted Napoleon and they said at the end of this life he said do you know what astonished me most in the world the inability of force to create anything the sword is always beaten by the spirit so much to to pull from all these texts something that I also feel that feeds into this is you know we're of an age where so many people suffer with anxiety and depression. And, you know, I am making a connection that that's generally just, uh, you know, we have an, a crisis of like our attachments in this country and all the things that we hold so tightly to, whether that's past or future or comparison games and how really turning to faith and spirituality and the dharma at least for me a sample size of one but cure it love to hear if you have found that to be true too in your in yourself or in your community it's interesting i growing up in a different country um with a different language word anxiety really i think was only brought into my awareness um, and how much it was used i'm anxious i'm anxious when i moved to new york and uh, when I was 25. So it was definitely, and it's, you know, it's, it's obviously a, a way of, well, it is a little bit of a label, I have to say. Uh, and it's something that people use so much. Um, and at this point, very much so people will use it in, you know, whatever country um, speaking that language, because yeah, what does anxiety mean? But since I have been, um, you know, studying and engaging in the practice of, or in the in the study of energy, chi, he, through the different teachings of, I mean, literally chi and uh, in in Chinese medicine and Taoism, and, um, and meditation practice where we 
Well, through the meditation, it's self-knowledge. It's beginning to really observe self. Our thoughts, sitting in stillness, the way our body feels, and also energy. So that just happens. And you can't, yeah, we can read books about it, but the only and best way to experience what that actually means is to actually meditate, to sit in meditation. And not only one time to sit in stillness or to do walking meditation, but sitting in stillness is pretty good and profound and watching the breath. Breath is energy. And if we become to, and it, and it moves chi and moves energy and, and, and opens that and all of this. So obviously that's a big part of meditation is observing the breath, noticing our breath. So why do I say this is because I, to me, anxiety is just energy. To me, at this point, emotions are, quote unquote, just energy. Moving in different ways and density or not moving through our bodies, not having like chi is in its natural state flowing. Everything is in motion. I mean, at least through these, you know, in these traditions that I feel home in uh, that resonate with my understanding of this, this life and universe and cosmos and so on. Um, yin and yang, without the two opposing forces, there wasn't movement, but there are the opposing forces, day and night, cold and warm and all. And so there is movement. And through movement, there's change. And the one thing that, the only thing we can be certain of is that things are in constant change, not necessarily fast. They are the seasons and, you know, so, the thing is that emotions have a different nature in a way they move through us as energy. And anxiety, to me, is energy that is very connected to the heart. What we're feeling that's moving through our heart, but it does not necessarily have an outlet. So it's an accumulation of, of a lot of chi of a lot of energy that really wants to express itself or tell us something, but it doesn't know how, or it, it knows how, but we are suppressing it through different reasons, maybe. Not trusting of that inner voice, that inner communication that wants to come through, not allowing it, feeling afraid through old trauma. Many, many reasons, it's nobody's fault that there is a block of that energy that just wants to move. If you think about depression, it's the opposite. I mean, or similar too. It's like energy that's depressed. I mean, it's like the word really says it. So with chi, there's or with anxiety, there's, there's too much. With depression, that's not enough of something. But that's also not necessarily true because everything is about again. If we feel and under or believe that there is. Chi always is in its natural state of flow, so it's just a stagnation. But the stagnation comes from, you know, different reasons, causes, internal, external. So to me, in, in short, a summary, it is just different forms of chi within ourselves. I only last year did I listen to a podcast. I am not exactly remembering her name, but it's Ellen. I want to say something like onward and um but my somebody that i highly appreciate dr john Duyar, a ayurvedic practitioner very wise soul so on his podcast he invited ellen who is, who wrote a book called the architecture of anxiety what she shared about anxiety and maybe i thought maybe also depression was 110 percent resonant with what i have come to one form of anxiety is a deficiency of actual um, body as you know, like parts of the, the vital body or the actual visceral body. So and in Chinese medicine, this overlaps because we have anxiety because let's say of some sort of blood deficiency or a nutrient deficiency. And I think that really much um, overlaps with Western. So let's say if we're if we're deficient in some sort of Mm, 
B vitamin, for example, which is known to affect the neurological system. And I'm, this is just an example, but then it might, or iron deficiency or something that really is important for our body to sleep at night, to sleep through the night, then it makes sense that our body doesn't feel right, doesn't feel quote unquote grounded that we, you know, that we're uneasy, have an uneasy feeling. So that's that one kind of anxiety that might be helped with figuring out is there something my body is lacking literally in the sense of minerals, vitamins, and so on and so forth, certain kinds of proteins, foods. And then the second, the other anxiety is really our inner wisdom. It's our inner wisdom speaking to us. And you have heard me talking about um, probably in the Reiki classes and may, maybe a little bit on the Dharma talk, uh, not Dharma talk, Dharma reading. To me, um, within myself, I, I would consider myself also highly sensitive my whole life. I believe, and then all the people who come really through to this work and, and Reiki are the same way, but I also believe that everybody is actually highly sensitive, and that's our natural state, like children, like animals. We just learn through life to build up all of these layers of protection, of false layers, of numbing, right? Drugs are a way to numb ourselves, and people who are usually highly creative uh, and don't have an outlet, there's oftentimes addiction or things because it's a numbing of that force that wants to move through because, but there's no knowing of expressing that or no support. So it comes out in different ways. So basically um, the sensitivity through these different, all the practices that I share, meditation um, and practice myself, uh, breath work, acupuncture, all of the things, uh, there are, actually opening ourselves, purifying, right? We say raising the vibration, but it's really just a purification, the healing, the releasing of these ways of numbing, of, of protection. So they make us more sensitive. And that's why these beautiful teachings like in Taoism and in Reiki and also in Buddhism have a, have a cultivation of what we call the true center, which is the Hara, H-A-R-A, in Japanese, or the lower Dantian in the Taoist, Qigong, Tai Chi, and so on and so forth. And that is a way of cultivating an energetic center in our lower abdomen, a chi center that is helping us to really cultivate a sense of centeredness. So we can, in this important healing space of opening back to our natural state, we'll walk through this everyday life in the world not being washed over or blown away by everything we see and experience because yeah. as a sensitive person walking yes if we are in a bubble or only in beautiful place in nature it's an obvious gift because our sensitivity is the greatest gift but for a lot of people it feels like a heavy burden and people say i'm so empathic it means you feel everybody else that is just our stage of interconnectedness, which is just what we're actually open back up to in the teachings of Reiki and so on, to allow that or our awareness to it, because we are interconnected. We feel each other's energy and they are intermingling. But that's why it's healing to walk through nature, because we're intermingling with the chi of nature. We're remembering we are coming back in homeostasis. But depending on what kind of vibrating environment you're walking through, a beautiful place on the beach somewhere in, on, in Hawaii or in the middle of a, of a Mexico city or something like this, it, it affects us differently, obviously. So that is to me connected to anxiety, if that makes any sense, is actually, to me, there is, there's something that wants to be communicated that actually comes from a place of wisdom and it's not a pathology. And that's exactly what, um, or it's very similar with um, what Ellen, Dr. Ellen says in this book or what she describes. I have not read the book, but I've already recommended it to people because the, the podcast was so resonant. That's, that's what, um, what I feel. It's actually, you know, and this is what I try with, with my clients. Healing to me is empowerment. Whatever the person tells me what is going on, it's not that I'm saying this to comfort them. It's because I deeply, deeply believe that to be reality 
is it's here for us. It's not a punishment and it has something for us. It has, there is something in it and, and we definitely have the capacity to open through this. So a hundred percent, our anxiety, I believe is wisdom and mm-hmm. we're just having to find ways and we're finding ways of beginning to listen to this and to be guided by it. But in this very world, if we want to be honest, um, that's not necessarily easy. Yeah. Your philosophy is very aligned with how I've felt about it. And I just thank my 20-year-old self who, you know, was dealing with a lot of this anxious energy and you know, in college and doctors were like, oh, you should take these antidepressants. I knew in my gut that it was something I could Mm. work through. Like, I mean, the, the beneficial, the benefits of meditation, I think are, yeah, you can, you can Google it now. And this is the longest list of what is now scientific. I think even like really in, in studies shown, how it has benefited people from and it's not only energetic it's like you know heart disease and so on and so forth because it brings more awareness to self more alignment more more trust within self within our healing capacity and that can change everything and anything mm-hmm. and it doesn't mean it heals everything but healing is also not necessarily only connected to the physical body mm-hmm. mm. and yes i mean i have you know I like that you brought that up again with the medication. Um, there is definitely a time and space. So I was trained through my Chinese medicine program as a clinician. We do work together hand in hand with Western medicine. And I'm not, as an alternative healthcare practitioner, I'm not opposed to all of it at all. I'm not against it. There is, you know, it can really help. In, um, and sometimes there is time and space for antidepressants or certain things. Um, what well, can actually be life-saving. So I'm not like nobody's going on it, like just tr- connect to yourself. Mm-hmm. It's sometimes there is time and spaces where it's important. And I would never, because again, remember the idea about judgment, that is not what healing is to me. If anybody, it's more empowering of, okay, right now you got this to help you feel or come to a place of stable. And that, I mean, that's a whole nother journey, right? Because a lot of people, so while I was in New York during my acupuncture school there in 2011 and the um, years after that, the three years after that, I was also interning at a um, community acupuncture clinic for two years. And there were so many client patients that came in with depression and anxiety, work, wanting to work on it, and they were all on medications for it. So that was already for me just like, mind bottling or like really clear like oh wow they're on the medication but they're coming in to get actually treatment for it so it's not necessarily right because there's the root cause of something and if we just put the medicine on it we're not healing the root and that's what meditation can help us but there is for certain scenario situations and people it might be helpful because if they don't have the support to be stable in certain times of their life, you know, until they can, on how they can heal the root with time and compassion, then, um, yeah, that, right, that makes sense. And sometimes there's time and space for these medications. But, um, yeah, if somebody comes and they say, I, had, I went really down, deep down into a rabbit hole because of my breakup with this person, and I'm usually a very happy person my whole life and I was considering medications and then I went to you know and and almost got whatever Zoloft or something and then I didn't take it or I decided I don't and then I say okay great because if they already think they don't need it and they are pretty stable but it was just like an emotional thing that you know is is not as life um, threatening because it is a journey to also wean off these medications yeah. And and because you're on it and you think, well, I went on it because I felt before very unstable. And even if I still feel anxious and all the things, but I wonder how I would feel without being on them. Right. So it becomes this dependency. Mm-hmm. And aside, right, there is side effects of we, for medications long term. So 
um, there's time and space for them. And if, however, if there's, you know, if there's alternative treatments that are um, appropriate for this person in this individual case, then that's great. Mm -hmm. And when you were talking before, just quick question about, I mean, you mentioned the lower Dantian and just our true center. And as you're talking about that, I felt little baby feet kick kicking and punches and all the things <laughs> in my belly. Um, does that connect to like why, you know, life is created from our womb and, you know, this is where babies sit in the stomach. Like, does that all connect in Chinese medicine that, you huh. know, it's the life center? Well, that's very interesting um, of a question. It's the Hara or Lori Dantian is interestingly, at least in the English language or so, there's not that much written about them. So it's an inch or two, the location, an inch or two below the navel. And it is not only, um, you know, the size of a quarter. Um, it's an energetic center. So we don't really know. Um, there is certain drawings, Taoist drawings that are, depicting the idea of the Dantians, because there's also the middle Dantian and the upper Dantian connected to the heart and then something between the third eye and the, um, the crown. But what I would say is it's more rather than to intellectually understanding these to allow to explore what that is about through the practice. So when I say cultivating, when we say cultivating the lower Dantian, it means awareness practice in the different forms of breathing into the lower dantian breathing into because it's also connected to where the kidneys live i mean the area of the kidneys and in chinese medicine the kidneys are a little lower than the western kidneys or the um the actual anatomical kidneys that's a little higher so it's in the lower back area and it's connected to life force to jing j-i-n-g our essence from my little understanding about the lower Dantian and the Hara, the cultivation of the Hara through, again, awareness, practice, breath, uh, sometimes maybe physical exercise and so on, it doesn't only have benefits that are manifesting on the energetics or mental, emotional to really feel more centered, calm. I would say that it's in martial arts, the lower Dantian is cultivated because every kick, every move, maybe even every word when it comes from the lower dantian it's a lot different than if it would come from the brain from the mind which you know we don't really know where the mind is but we do kind of connect it to this thinking which is a lot more reactive so even just feeling like what if everything i would say or do would come from this place below my abdomen below my belly button and the kidney area i mean the lower back and, and anything in between how would that feel how would my everyday life be or today, the rest of today, if the words, if the sound, anything would come from there. So it's also known to, to have actually physical benefits because it is connected to that life force energy. And then there's even stories of monks who have meditated or cultivated the center. And it's, the center is known also in other traditions. It's connected to like a warming fire, the, that it helps people stay warm in cold weather and it's this intelligent fire that can burn away, you know, old patterns and things like that. So there's a little bit of a holistic way of looking at it. But it's also, what is also in this area near there, if we look at about the chakras, it's this first and second chakra, the root and the sacred chakra. And then there is the womb in women and, you know, the physical organ in the area and, of course, the um, intestines. And then there's also the energetic womb and that you know maybe for a moment to talk about this because that's a huge part of the my work that i share with people and that was initiated well, by my journey with my daughter and the conception and a few miscarriages but that realization of that wisdom that to me is a portal that every woman with a uterus has and maybe an energetic center that's also in everybody accessible but it's, it's, it's creation, and creation is really the mother of everything. And it's like the heart to me. I see both of these as portals, the womb and the heart, to a wisdom that is ancient, and not only ancient in the idea of old, but timeless ancientness. 
like nothing only in the past or future, but like, you know, timelessness. And so it's a wisdom that is not only limited to the age of our own vessel, of, of the vessel, physical vessel of like, again, in my case, 43 years of age or 28 years of age or 50 years of age or 70. It's, it's an ancient wisdom. So that womb wisdom, that's to me a little bit what you um, brought up. And they might be connected, but not necessarily. But that womb wisdom to me has to do with creation to actually be able to create our dream vision or our heart's vision in this world and in this lifetime. It's more of, for me, it's been a awareness of the Hara when I began practicing Zen. That was my beginning. And then in Chinese medicine school, when with the Taoist practices of Qigong Tai Chi, where we bring awareness to the Lord and Tian, and that we as clinicians, if you put needles into a person, you want to be grounded. You want to be connected to your center, have a calm heart and mind. So there's also the connection of the lower Dantian with the other Dantian. So the heart and the mind, when we cultivate the lower Dantian, or in other words, the Hara, it's an immediate way to us, again, to be more calm in heart and mind. So, so that's all interconnected and connected to wisdom, which is then again, connected to life force. So in the end of the day, it's all connected. So yes, and no, and I also don't exactly know. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> to everything exactly <laughs> don't know anything well to close I would love to just briefly hear if you have a daily practice that you have formed for yourself whether that's tea whether that's mm-hmm. sitting in meditation what does kind of like your dream day look like my dream day I guess I have to say my dream day is every day today is my dream day and I actually was, it was dreamy because I was, before our conversation today, I was um, in this beautiful space of tea ceremony and sharing um, bowls of tea um, with my beautiful friend, Morgan Francesca, who is a friend and she's also my tea practice, Chadao practice mentor. So that is a beautiful practice. Um, I created I built a little tiny tea house in our backyard here uh, in Ojai to create the space for practice because again I think at the beginning I said sometimes we need to it's really all about really allowing to create that space Um, and also not judging ourselves if there's just not the time because anything in life can be practiced our by being present with when we make food our bed taking care of our body when we brush our teeth when we are with our children, with our friends, it's all practice. Actually, we're practicing meditation in order to become more conscious in, the, in all these other moments, in all moments. So with some years of meditation practice, at least I have the awareness. So if I don't get to sit in meditation for an hour in the morning, I'm not going to say, well, now I can't practice today and the day is not great because I know it's all any moment can be a practice by bringing the awareness to the breath. Like right now I, I can, you know, breathe consciously for five minutes and there have my practice because um, I don't know anybody who does not need the constant reminder to take a deep breath into the Hara, into the lower Dantian. Um, That's one part of the answer. And it is nice to have that sacred ritual um, that I had before Claire was born. The good thing is that but now the mornings are just, you know, if for anybody having, having a child, it's unless you have a partner who's like, okay, you got the first hour, do your thing. I'm going to take care of the child or the children. Then you can create that. So again, it's not impossible, but just not in my case, it was impossible. So, and it is nice to have this to me and a lot of, you know, traditions have that similarity of it's nice to have the morning, like the morning as the spiritual practice. Also, it sets you up for, you know, like feeling just so nice and aligned um, for the rest of the day. Thankfully, my my all parts of my healing practice, which I almost do daily, but not on Sundays, um, you know, work with clients and virtual clients and, and mentorships. So there is meditation is that practice. 
so I can sneak that. I can use that, you know, space. That's really that. But I just recently have come to go back to my Kundalini yoga practice, which I had uh, a daily practice for really a, a number of years, again, before Claire was born. It was like a combination of things. That's very exciting because I realized, okay, wow, now I have the time and space again. Now I don't have any excuses. I can, I can have an hour to sit on the mat, to meditate, to chant, and um, without that in connection with another person. And, you know, so it's, and I've longed for that for, for years. I have to admit that oh, no, morning practice. Um, so maybe adding a daily tea practice to, to it would be wonderful. Um, but I'm allowing myself, I'm having compassion with myself to, to not force these things. And again, right, this, this is where the discipline part comes in that you mentioned, brought up earlier. The discipline in a lot of practices, the much more discipline than we really have in the Western world here and the spiritual practices and so on, um, that's because we know how the mind works and how easy it is for, for, to forget to be present, to fall asleep, to to be half present, right? It's, we're slipping away and that's just what it is. So the discipline is something that um, can really help to be actually present. I love, I love this conversation. Aww. And I'll see you tomorrow. Yes, I'm very excited. Have a beautiful rest of your day.